Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Brooks Nuana is joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown, talking all things Cats, Grizz, and the rest of the Big Sky Conference. All eyes were on Montana State. They played the top-ranked team in the country last week. We'll get into some of the ins and outs of it, Brooks, but I know that uh, you had some folks over. I was down in St. George. We had another crew in uh, Brookings, South Dakota, but you were uh, at home base watching both uh, of the, the games. Take us through it. What, what was your experience like? What did you think of, of Montana State's uh, near win, but uh, close but no cigar there in Brookings against the top-ranked team in the FCS? Yeah, dude, it was a classic double-double where I, uh, you know, both both teams away early in the season, and I got to watch them up from the uh, the TV angle, which is not usually my, my, my preferred seat, but it is a different angle, and it's sure one that I – like to actually get some, uh, you know, some analysis to break down on, on what these teams are looking like. I thought that Montana State, man, obviously, uh, what a tremendous opportunity the Cats had right there for the taking um, and, and came up short. I think that there's a lot of things that you could look at, uh, whether of how the Cats could have, should have won that game, but also, you know, South Dakota State has been the perennial number one team in the last uh, three years for a reason. So I thought Montana State, Again, massive opportunity, especially in the first half with the interesting game plan, ball control, pound the football, uh, you know, really get up on South Dakota State and then kind of hold true, hit cruise control and see what happens from there. And the second half obviously changed for the worse. I know that we'll probably get into that. But Montana, the Grizzlies, uh, full throttle, you know, absolutely just house a Utah Tech team that is up and coming, if you will, kind of still finding their footing with a new name and a new conference and all sorts of uh, of of things that are, you know, likely against that program for the current moment. But you know what doesn't help playing the, the Cats and the Grizz back-to-back to start uh, to start your season. So challenging schedule for uh, Utah Tech as well. But Grizz looked good. Grizz rolled uh, in almost every facet of the game. I know that you mentioned Colter. I think they played every single guy that traveled. Uh, kind of exactly what you hope to get out of a game like that. We talked about wanting to see a little bit more, uh, you know, not only a tune-up, but to see some things cleaned up and to see them play well and dominate, and that was exactly what happened. So uh, not going to say that it's exactly how I thought both games would go because you and I both thought the Cats had a real good chance, and that ended up how it was. Um, but I did think the Cats could have won uh, before that game started, and after the game ends, I, I, I certainly think the same. Well, so much talk about the way that the game ended with um, John Chambers seemingly throwing a walk-off touchdown, but then that getting called back, and I thought that the way that the official actually made the call was sort of deceiving. He said there's one second left on the clock, and the receiver is out. So the call should have been the play. The call on the field is overturned. Montana State, fourth down from this yard line, and there's one second left on the clock. The, the call was made backward and incorrect by the official. I also think, though, that there was also a question if Sean Chambers was over the line of scrimmage or not. That also is a play that would have needed to be challenged because it's two different calls. The call on the field is what sparks the review. The call on the field was a touchdown. That's what's reviewed. If that's overturned, then you need another challenge for a spot foul where Chambers threw the ball from. I thought, like I always say, the officials are not biased, they're just bad. The procedure of a perfect way of calling that, and I'm not debating if Cleveland Thomas was in or out, but the perfect way of the officials calling that sequence is the challenge on the field is the touchdown at the back. So you either overturn that or confirm that. Then another challenge must happen for where Sean Chambers' foot is. I think that Chambers was over the line of scrimmage. So even if Cleveland Thomas is in, I don't think Montana State got quote-unquote screwed by the touchdown getting called off, I just thought the officials botched their communication of what was actually happening when they made the call in real time. Yeah, okay. There's a lot to unpack there. I I, I need to double-check because we have some referee friends within our lexicon. Uh, I really do not think that you could challenge whether or not he was over the line of scrimmage. I don't think that that is a play that you can go back and overturn in college. Maybe in the NFL you can uh, if that's the only play um, – in question, I don't think that you can also in college challenge multiple aspects of a play. I could be wrong both times there. Um, I think the only thing that is important to note here, Coulter, is whether the ref botched the call the way that he explained it or announced it. Yeah, that's obvious. I mean, it was he, he nailed it, right? Uh, nailed that one. Um, but 
overall, football, it's been at least, what, seven years since they've changed the rule to say that if there's not indisputable evidence to overturn a call, that the call on the field has to stand. I think it's very simple that you call that that uh, that catch uh, not not a touchdown. You say that that was out of bounds, and then you review that. I think if the catch was called out, they review it, and it's still out. I think if you call the catch in, you review it, and you can't overturn it. So I think that the call has to stand. You cannot say that the call has been confirmed or the call has been overturned. You have to say that the call stands uh, by video evidence because it was so darn close. I do think that by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin by one fingernail by one inch, I do, Colt, I think that he was out of bounds. But, I mean, we're talking as close as I have ever seen. As we always say, though, no game comes down to one play. I think that's really hard for fans to understand. But in the scope of a football game, when there's 120 to 180 plays, no game comes down to one play. There are definitive plays that change the arc of a game, but no game comes down to one play. The game on Saturday would not come down to that play if Montana State didn't commit 12 penalties, if Montana State didn't jump off sides on a fourth and one from the one-yard line, if Montana State didn't have uh, three different drives inside the South Dakota State 10-yard line and come up empty and only get three points out of all three of those. The Cats punch in two of those red zone trips with touchdowns, they win going away. So there's all sorts of different plays that could have changed. And, and I think that's the main storyline, the main narrative, the main conversation moving forward is how do you bounce back from this? I thought going in, I thought the narrative going into this game was that Montana State was in a no-lose situation. You go to SDSU and you win. Momentum for days, so much confidence. You got a chance to run the table, get the number one seed. You go to South Dakota State, you lose, but you show strides. You, you perform uh, respectively. You hang with the number one team in the country. Also uh, a great boost. But to go there and ha- not only could have won, but should have won, and then lose in heartbreaking fashion with controversy at the end, man, that completely shifts it. It's the only thing that could have happened to the Cats that then makes – how they bounce back from it, murky uh, in terms of where they move uh, going forward. So, I mean, how important is it for Montana State to just flush it? Because I I don't think you can say close but no cigar. I think you got to just say, hey, what happened happened is what happened. We got to get back on the horse and we got to focus on everything that's in front of us instead of what's behind us. Well, I mean, that's that's what Brent Vegan expressed after the game, Colter. And I I also think that his credit that's exactly what they have done for the entire time that he's been at the helm it's probably their greatest strength is to actually believe and then carry out what they say and what they said about that game is what you're expressing now is you got to flush it you got to go you got to move on because there's really nothing you can do about it how big of an opportunity was that for the cats to then play it maybe a magical season um, and get some pretty impressive seating on the way to what could be another national championship run. Obviously that's out there, but Coulter, as you know, because you've been around it as well as I have, how much pressure is it after week two to, to try to carry the number one seed in the country from, from wire to wire? Is it better for the Cats to stay at number two, number three, number four, and still have that target on their back, but not have to be the number one team in the country when they've never done it with this group or this program since, what, Narius McGee in 2010? Um, I think that that is something that, as a Bobcat fan or a someone around the program, I think that is a little bit of a blessing in disguise or maybe, you know, the glass half full perspective is now you can play with the chip. Now you already got that loss out of the way instead of maybe having to do it in the semifinals or in the national championship or in Cat Grizz, something like that. You already kind of cleaned that slate, and you, now you can play a little bit more free knowing that you're a damn good team. You should be the number one team in the country. You could be. You aren't. Now you got to play for it. Big Side Breakdown presented in part by Town Pump. Town Pump keeping us fueled up all season long, helped us get to Brookings and St. George last week. Town Pump brawl the wild by the mile. Back for yet another year. You can find giveaways here on the Big Side Breakdown as well as on Nuanas Now, our uh, daily ESPN radio show as well. So stay tuned for that. Appreciate Town Pump 
visit townpump.com to see all the various things can, that Town Pump uh, can do for you. Last time the Cats were number one officially was uh, in mid-November 2011, and uh, then Montana came into Bozeman and knocked the Cats off in, in the Cat Grizz game, and uh, the Grizz went on to, to surge all the way to the semifinals, and uh, that was in the midst of the Cats winning three straight Big Sky titles, but just one week at number one during the modern era. Before that, their last time at number one was in 1978, the very first uh, year of Division One AA, uh, which then became the uh, the FCS. I totally know what you're saying there, Brooks. There's a lot of pressure with being number one, especially when pretty much only two teams has occupied that number one spot for the last t- 10 to 12 years, and that's North Dakota State pretty much the entire time, and then South Dakota State a little bit more uh, recently. That said, I think that winning an actual national championship at the FCS level is as simple as never having to leave your home field. As much as people want to believe it, that there's you know an even playing field when it gets to the postseason, there's not. Teams don't win on the road in the FCS playoffs. Home teams win about 75% of their games, and guess what? percentage of games the Cats or the Grizz have ever won on the road. A very minute percentage. The Cats have one road win in FCS playoff history. That's when they went to Sam Houston State and won in 2021. The Grizz have one road win in F- in their FCS playoff history. That's when they went to James Madison and won in 2008. Otherwise, all losses. Guess how many times North Dakota State's won on the road during this most recent run? Once when they won in Bozeman in 2010 in the first round of the playoffs. Other than that, every single one of North Dakota State's playoff wins has come on their home field or on a neutral field in Frisco, Texas. And it's the same deal with South Dakota State. What was the thing that helped them get over the top when they uh, went to the national championship and then won the national championship last year, having the semifinal in Brookings? So that's something that Montana State can't control now. Home field advantage is you know inside track for, for South Dakota State now with this win. Um, but I don't think you can think about that. You know, you can't think about, oh man, we might have to go back to Brookings in December. You just got to get to that point first if you're MSU. Yeah, I mean, it ain't, none of it's easy, right? If you if you deserve to win a natty, you can win anywhere. I understand the premise, and it's obviously a, a, a relatively shocking stat, which is, again, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised, but um, we'll see. It's a long season. South Dakota State has some tough opponents on their schedule. They'll, they'll, they'll play multiple top 25 opponents. Um, and, you know, by the end of the season, you never know what could actually shake out. Well, last thing about the Cats, we'll talk just a bit about the Grizz. Um, I thought that you know, Montana State looked much better defensively. They've made strides defensively. I think their secondary is way better. I think that helps a lot. I think their linebackers are coming of age. I think Danny Yulikapa has been a guy who's uh, been a guy with potential, but I think he's now playing at a – a pretty high level, and if he can get to one more level, then he's going to be playing at a, a you know an all-conference uh, type level. And uh, up front, I think that Bobcats got good depth. I think they need to get a little bit more of a pass rush still, but that's everybody in football. Everybody in football can can get a little bit more of a pass rush. Um, so defense, I thought not a lot to to criticize. Offensively. I thought Montana State's play calling was pretty rudimentary and, and pretty uncreative. I know part of that was I mean, they were trying to win that game in a completely low-scoring game. The 10 to nothing halftime score was perfect execution of what they wanted it to be all about. But I'm just so wondering, first of all, I, I know that the, the, the narrative of the revamped passing game has been very impacted by the fact that several guys that MSU expected to be some of their top pass catchers Laniata Alexander, transfer from Arizona State. Ty McCullough, transfer from Colorado State. Uh, and Taco Dowler, who's uh, out right now with an injury. Those guys haven't been in, so so we haven't really gotten to see the, the full array of weapons on the outside. We also just haven't seen much action in the passing game. And if I, I mean, like we always joke, we should call this podcast Throw the Ball to the Tight End. I mean, you got two great ones if you're MSU. I throw them the ball a little bit more. And then, you know, Tommy Mallott being out, getting knocked out of that game, it simplified their quarterback rotation. But until Tommy got knocked out, they were doing it. They were basically rotating with Mallott in between the 20s and Chambers inside the 20s. It, it Chambers is like your exclusive red zone quarterback. I think that makes you really predictable. And I think that that's so I, I do. I guess what I'm saying is I think that there's a, a little bit of uh, improvement to be desired when it comes to the Bobcat offense, both in terms of 
emphasizing playmakers, particularly the tight ends, but also just play calling in general and, and being more creative, less predictable. Yeah, I, I thought that they, they looked tight at times, even though they had the game plan uh, that they obviously wanted to, uh, they were executing it. But, like, there was times where Sean Chambers ran the ball, you know, I feel like six times in a row when you have a, a stable of running backs and, and, you know, the ability to kind of do something a little bit different. It seems like they're being conservative almost to a fault. Um, and, you know, that's also playing in a, in a massive environment in a huge game with the lead most of the game. So it's hard to critique that. Uh, but, you know, time a lot, I completed every pass he threw until he got banged up, and we'll see how that plays out. But I thought that they became a little bit uh, one-dimensional as the game continued to go on. And, and you hope with a team with that much talent, that much confidence, uh, you mentioned some guys out at receiver, Coulter, and all that. that those are all, you know, that's you can call it what you want, but excuses at the end of the day um, for what is a team that should be more diverse than they ended up being. Um, and maybe that is, uh, you know, some insider information that we don't know about. Maybe they had a game plan or something that they saw that they knew that they could execute on. Um, but it seemed to me that as the season progresses, we're going to see a different offense. We're going to see an offense that is more diverse and uh, significantly more confident, um, especially down the stretch. And you, you just would have loved to see it in a, in a moment that big. Big Sam Breakdown presented in part by Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity the Chris game was was hilarious. I'm laughing because Montana, I thought, was uh, a little bit sputtering uh, in their home opener uh, against Butler. I think part of that was because the stadium, although it was sold out, it was only about 60% full for most of the time because people were coming and going and partying and hanging out and drinking beer and all that sort of stuff. And then I also thought the, the temperature played a factor. Two quarterbacks playing their first games ever as Grizz played a factor. And the fact that Montana wants to keep it vanilla here early on because they they think that a huge advantage of theirs going into conference play could be some sort of element of surprise. We could get into and rant all about the overcoaching that's so prevalent across the board in all levels of football, even the NFL. Uh, But we'll save that rant for maybe another time. But I thought that it was just funny because I thought Montana was – you know, pretty okay in their opener against Butler. I think a lot of people were thinking, well, how do you not beat a non-scholarship team by more than just 35-20? Well, then Montana came out and just absolutely destroyed Utah Tech, left no doubt. The final score, 43-13, okay, it's a pretty good blowout win. But this game was absolutely over. I mean, when when Travis Benham had the punt that the Grizz downed on the, the half a yard line and then three plays later, Utah Tech punts and Junior Bergen takes the punt half the field for a, a touchdown, and it's twenty nine nothing with you know six minutes to go in the second quarter. It was game over. Slam the door right in their face. Uh, I thought it was a quintessential Bobby Houck win. You have, you force a turnover and then you run the ball down their throats to get a touchdown on the first possession of the game. You end up forcing two more turnovers and getting points out of both of them. You have a special teams touchdown. You're up thirty six nothing at halftime and you play every guy on your roster. Uh, I can't really think of a, a better formula for, for Bobby Houck in terms of what he likes and how he likes to win. So uh, Utah Tech totally overmatched, but uh, certainly a, a convincing uh, win that was very Bobby Houck-esque in its style. Yeah, very much so, Colter. They ran the football really well. I mean, sometimes hard to evaluate at, when you're when you're just beating the brakes off a team, right? Like they, they, they beat them real good, and it was kind of going away from the, from the jump. So minus that. I thought that Nick Osmo looked great, um, a guy who's had a lot of carries for the Grizz over the last few years who's been banged up but looks looks to be in true form and, and in midseason form, if you will, um, at this point of the year. Only 12 carries but had a couple big runs, including two touchdowns. And, and then Eli Gilman, again, played really well after his, his uh, big performance um, as, as a freshman running back last week against Butler, a guy who played – kind of in that red shirt role where you get a few games um, as a, as a true freshman, but then now coming in as a guy who has four years of eligibility and it looked like a really good one-two punch. They continue to run the quarterback, especially Clifton McDowell. You know, Colbert, I, I don't know how that's going to work itself out. It's, it's not super common. We've talked about for an offensive coordinator to implement an offense uh, like the running quarterback. If you haven't had a history of it, it's really hard to really – just, you know, have a good feel for how you want to call offense for a running quarterback if that is not really in your football DNA. And I'm not saying that I know the ins and outs of every offensive mind within that that program, but to me it's been not necessarily the bread and butter 
of that coaching staff or anyone on the offensive side. So we'll see how that continues to grow. Um, but man, on defense they flew around and they were they were they were playing uh, Montana Grizzly defense, right? They were rallying at the football party on the pile. Everything that you like to see if you want to see a group uh, start to progress uh, and take the next step to be a dominant unit, which I think that they have all the potential in the world to be. Do you notice the new coverages they're running on the back end? I mean, I think it's it, – you know, Trevor Gradney got burned a couple times in the first half against Butler. That's He's running cover two. Back shoulder throw, Brett Buschett, it beats cover two if, if you're not reacting right. But if you've noticed, on both Gradney's picks, he's been really in front of the receiver. It's because they're running cover two a lot more. And uh, maybe actually there's some guys trailing on the back end that aren't – bracketing like they're supposed to, but he's athletic enough to make that play. Can he be athletic enough to make that play against big sky receivers? We'll see. But, uh, I mean, that that was sort of the, the trigger for me, noticing that they're running more cover, too. Yeah, it, it just completely changed the run fit. So they were so interested in, in running quarters throughout Bobby Houck's entire tenure. Um, all the time that I ever spent around the Grizz football program, there's tons of quarters. You're checking in a cover three on trips, looks. At and that's because you want the safeties on- to be able to run the alley and the run fit, right? That's what you're talking about. Correct. Yeah. So you have the, the the free safety kind of go over the top in that in, in in that that third with the two corners, and you have a buzz safety that can come down more between ten and and seven to ten yards and be available underneath to obviously cover routes, but also to be someone who can come up and run support when a quarterback scrambles to cover the draw, uh, screen passes. There's all a variety of things there. Uh, but when you take the linebackers, which they've done so much of this year, and putting the Levi Janicaros of the world, uh, the Riley Wilsons of the world, up on the edge as more like a stand-up, almost like a Sam linebacker, even though they, they technically play inside, um, up on the edge. Then you have two linebackers, and you're looking for a little bit of a different coverage in that look. Um, the cover two look, in all reality, Colt, that really gives the corners more freedom. Um, you see a lot of man coverage in the NFL for, for a reason. Uh, you don't want to lose guys anywhere because one step, even a half step, will get you, get you a 70-yard touchdown. You'll lose a game, lose a division, lose a season. Um, so you see man coverage in the NFL a decent amount, but you also see cover two. Um, and the reason that you see cover two is that you can keep stuff in front of you. Uh, you have guys kind of on the top end, those two safeties kind of covering that back. It allows the corners to play with their eyes on the quarterback rather than the receiver. Um, so it gives you a little bit more ability to play the football if you keep things in front of you. And then, again, you're able to rally to, to ball carriers, whether that's a, a receiver who's caught it, a draw pass, a draw play, as I mentioned you're able to rally a little bit better to the ball carrier because you're not really glued to somebody in a different way. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility as far as uh, your assignment goes, but it also gives you, uh, if you're getting home or you're getting pressure at all, it gives you the ability to play the football uh, once it's released into the air. So that pass game uh, turnover opportunity to increase that with the players you have, not every corner is a cover two guy, so don't get me wrong there. Uh, you got to be able to play. Uh, you got to be able to play the run as it comes to you, and it's spilled to your sideline. You got to be able to play the run in a pretty physical way, which Corby Walker and Trevin Grandy can both do. Uh, it gives you a little bit more flexibility to cause turnovers, which we've seen Gradney do back-to-back weeks. Last thing for you, I, I do think the Grizz are are great on special teams. I think they are good and could be really good defensively, and I think they have great talent on offense. I think there's still a lot to be seen in a, on their offensive side of the things. But I think it really just comes down to where do they go with this two-quarterback system? I, th- I think if you have the quote-unquote starter as Clifton McDowell, I think that's a huge advantage for your run game and probably the, the style that most caters to winning consistently and probably the thing that's the most detrimental to Sam Vidlak because I think Vidlak needs to be a guy that can get in a rhythm and find some pace within a game. If you go with Vidlak, I actually think that's probably your way, your 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 best potential to get over the top and actually truly contend in the playoffs and and make a deep playoff run. But if you go with Vidlak as the quote unquote guy starter guy that gets the first snaps, then I think that the quarterback run game becomes more predictable and people are expecting it when McDowell comes into the game for spots. So. I get why they're doing this. So many teams in college football are doing this. The Grizz have been beat by multiple teams that employed double, you know, dual quarterback systems like Sac State, like Montana State. So I get why they're doing it. I get the inspiration for it. I get uh, the reason that they're doing it with these two guys. I just I'm stuck on which way you go in terms of who's the guy that gets the first snaps and, and then how that plays into uh, the way that you operate with both these guys at the helm. Yeah, I'm the, I may be the wrong guy to ask about this because 
we all we all carry bias, right, Colter? We all have inherent bias somewhere within our our uh, sports minds, our sports lexicons. For me, I am not a two quarterback system guy. I would never do it. Just if it was my program, or if I was a quarterback, or if I was a part of the team, not what I'm interested in. Why? Why uh, is I that? What are the things that make you lean towards us having one guy? I mean, just like you said, it's 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 a game of feel. It's like playing it's a rhythm scramble in golf or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I want to hit my golf ball. You know, I just want to play my right. golf ball. You know, playing a scr- scramble sure is fun. Watching you hit some bomb and acting like I'm a part of it, but guess what? I get cold because I haven't played it in two holes. Um, you know, there are guys out there that can do it. Zach State has done it really well. You mentioned that. There's, I mean, we could find a million examples of teams that have done it really successfully and quarterbacks who have really thrived in those systems. I just don't see a lot of people ho- hoist a national championship trophy to two quarterbacks. And again, that's kind of what I'm interested in is the pursuit of greatness in that in that aspect. So. We'll see how it plays out, Coulter. The thing that's really also hard about it is that when you get into uh, actual rhythm with two quarterbacks and they both get used to it and one of them gets hurt and all of a sudden it's third and 12 and you never played on third and 12 in the third quarter because that's not your package, your time, it just becomes a lack of confidence in that sense because you haven't done it. You relied on someone else to do something that maybe now you have to do full time. I just think that could be a detriment. I like two quarterback systems where there's four quarterbacks and you have backups for each one of them, right? There's a guy that if the runner gets knocked out, you have another runner in the back. If the if the, the guy who we like to throw it a little bit better gets knocked out, you have another guy in the in the in the in the in the, uh, in the locker room that can throw the football and step into that position. So if you were to develop the system for two quarterbacks and it was uh, actual part of the program, that's one thing. If you're just doing it because you can't decide who the starter is, I think that it has a short shelf life. Brooks Nuana, SkylineSportsMT.com. We talked all about last week's stuff and the first two weeks' worth of impressions, but we didn't even mention who's coming up on the slate. Montana State hosts Stetson on Saturday afternoon, and Montana hosts Ferris State. Ferris State, two-time defending Division II national champs. They've won 28 straight road games. <laughs> Their head coach, Tony Anise, he's 117 wins and, and only 17 losses during his time as the head coach at Ferris, his overall career record in almost 40 years as a head coach between high school, junior college, and Division II. The guy's won 86% of his games. He's got 362 wins. I don't know how this guy doesn't have a Division I job. Maybe he doesn't want one. He's only ever been a high school coach in Michigan, the head coach at Grand Rapids Community College, and now he's there at Ferris State in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So uh, maybe he just likes that part of the world. I don't know. But uh, – just quickly, Brooks, Montana State's 46.5-point favorites over Stetson. So I think that shows you the quality uh, of the non-scholarship team that's coming to Bozeman. The Grizz, only 14.5-point favorites over Ferris State. So just uh, initial thoughts on these two matchups on Saturday? Well, I mean, yeah, Stetson is overmatched and the, the Cats should roll. I mean, I wouldn't want to play the Cats after that loss. You know, they're going to come out and just steamroll. Well, you know, you hope it's a good game. We saw – Butler come in with no scholarships and they covered 38 and a half pretty darn easy, right? So I'm not going to, uh, you know, just flush Stetson before I see him get to play. But I do think the Cats are obviously heavy favorites in that. Uh, we'll see if they can get a variety of guys playing. I imagine that when you get to dress a couple extra when you're not on the road, but rather at home that you'll see some guys, uh, some depth pieces play in that game, which is good for everybody, including, uh, you know, Hardcore fans who want to see uh, see some of what the future looks like for us, some young guys and some debt pieces. For the Grizz, Coulter, obviously, I don't think that you can sleep on this Ferris State team. Like, there's nothing about it that should be easy. Um, it'll be a significantly better roster than what we saw for Butler or much of the of the Pioneer League, at least at times. I know the Pioneer League has had, when they get a good playoff run, maybe a San Diego uh, throughout the 2010s and stuff, there is some good football being played in the Pioneer League. Don't get me wrong about that. I do think it is solid football. It is a, it is a level of Division One um, that maybe isn't the highest, but it is good football. That being said, I think Ferris State will give the Grizz uh, not a run for their money. The Grizz should be able to handle it. We're talking about Division Two versus a, a, a high-level, uh, major-impact uh, Division One program in the Montana Grizzlies. But I don't think that you can uh, roll over or sleep on this one at all. Um, I expect it to be a good game. Uh, We'll see how Ferris State, you know, called. I haven't looked up their records against Division One opponents um, in the last, during that run with 18 losses. How many of those 18 losses were against D1s? I'd love to find that out, and maybe we can talk about it later on the radio. Brooks Duana, SkylineSportsMT.com, here on the Big Sky Breakdown, presented in part by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot has 
fiber inst installation going on all across the state of Montana. If you want to see if there's fiber in your area, whether it's for your office, your small business, your home office, your home, visit goblackfoot.com. Just click on through to fiber, and you can see if there's fiber in your area. Blackfoot Communications probably presenting the Big Sky Breakdown. Brooks, thanks for being here, man. Good stuff, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up later on. But thanks so much for the time today. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Crazy how fast the football season's already flying by. We're wrapping up non-conference play this weekend across the league, and then we're into conference play uh, next weekend. So um, wild how fast it's going by. Ty Gregorak joins us here as he does each week. Coach Ty, tons of stuff to get to. A heartbreaker for the Bobcats in Brookings, a route for Montana in St. George. But before we get to any of that, we've been talking each week about your alma mater. Man, <laughs> this is crazy to watch, man. Colorado, they just route Nebraska. I got to watch a little bit of the game. I mean, there's Deion Sanders commercials on every single time they go to a commercial break. I mean, this is totally revolutionary. It's just totally different than, than what we're used to uh, in college football. And uh, here we are, Colorado 2-0. I, I love this culture. We're, you and I, every week that we do the Big Sky breakdown and talk about Montana, Montana State, the Big Sky, we're going to start with the Buffs. I love, I love this. Uh, the Buffs are the epicenter of college football right now. I mean, you got big noon kickoffs, and now you got game day. Uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, I think I said it last week. They're, 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 they're college football 3.0. And they took care of business against a team that played for the national championship in week one at their place. They looked great. I mean, the first half was a little back and forth. And, but, they, I mean, they just cut it loose in the second half against a traditional rival in Nebraska. And, you know, they, I mean, this is how these two programs have fallen on hard times. They rushed the field in a non-conference non uh, opponent that's not ranked. They rushed the field in, in Boulder. And you know what? Why not? I mean, why not? There's so much electricity and swag and juice around the program right now. You got to assume, unless they had the biggest letdown of all time, that they're going to go take care of business against a not very good Colorado State uh, on, on another you know, national audience. Uh, people are going to be seeing the flat irons in the background and Herb Street and Corso and McAfee's going to get to enjoy Boulder. I mean, there's just so much excitement and energy around Colorado football. It's Awesome. I mean, it is awesome. And uh, yeah, man, if we get to start every week, you know, again, part of me wants to pump the brakes a little bit because, uh, you know, after, after this week, that formerly known as the Rocky Mountain Showdown back in the day, uh, things are going to get a little more different with the likes of like USC and Oregon and some of these schools on the horizon. But no, man, it's awesome. It's so cool to see. And people are talking about the Colorado Buffaloes, which is incredible. It's awesome. That's the part that's so unfortunate is this is the last year of the Pac-12 before it becomes the Pac-2 or the Pac-1 or whatever it's going to become. And don't look now, but the Pac-12's got six teams in the top 25. Caleb Williams at USC is probably the favorite for the Heisman Trophy. Colorado's the number one story in college football. Washington's got a kid who's probably going to be a first-round draft pick at quarterback. Oregon's got a kid who's probably going to be right up there in the finalist booth with Caleb Williams in Bo Nix. Uh, on down the line, Oregon State might have its best team in the last 20 years since Coach Erickson was there. It's really too bad that the Pac-12 is doing this right now and uh, the league's going to just dissolve after this year. Well, and Colt, not to, not to second-guess you or say, Colter, you're wrong, but at least in one of the polls, there's eight teams. There you the go. 25. The, 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 I believe it was the media or whatever one comes out on Sundays. There's eight teams of the Pac-12 because, I mean, he, he, who you didn't mention there, Washington State just beat a an eighteen or nineteen Wisconsin uh, on on Saturday night, you know. So it's it's really too bad um, because and you and I are going to talk all we've talked all spring, summer, and we're going to talk all fall about just the state of college football. Um, but the Pac-12, you know, is a hundred plus year old conference that is now a defunct conference, and you've got some of the best players in the country on some of the best teams in the country right now. I mean, not, there, you know what? There's not outside of Georgia. There's not a lot of people talking about the SEC, uh, you know, outside of Michigan. There's not a lot of people talking about the big 10 other than Mel Tucker and his situation going on. Jeez. Good God. What a what a disgrace. And Travis, I mean, what a joke at it's a $9 total million joke. a year. 
I don't know if you've mentioned or you talked about that on your show at all last night, but I mean, and I, and I bring them up just because we were talking about the big 10 and, but I mean, keep in mind, he was the head coach at Colorado for one season where, you know, I mean, a lot of us were like, yeah, this guy's got it going in the right direction. And, you know, sure enough, a big 10 school swoops him up for, you know, add on another 6 million and change or whatever, but what a, what a, what a disgrace that is to an already disgraceful program that went through, the Larry Nazar deal and the, you know, the gymnast deal. And I mean, I, if I'm a parent of a, uh, of a kid going to college, I don't think I'm t- sending him to East Lansing anytime soon. That's just me. But yeah, man, the, the Pac-12 has got it rolling. They, they, uh, they're playing, they're, they're doing a lot of good things. And like I said, they've, they've got, I mean, another, I don't know, the, the, the reigning Heisman trophy winner. And it, it's, it's neat to see. It's kind of like a, I mean, I, I, I want to use another adjective than riding off in the sunset, like kind of a, screw you to the rest of the, I mean, A, to the conference itself, you know, I mean, I saw that the, you know, they, they basically, did they do a lawsuit? That the, the Pac-12 yeah, Oregon yeah. State's getting a lawsuit going, Washington State yeah. might get involved yeah. as well, The uh, and then like the yeah. league itself is getting sued, it's it's a total mess. It is a mess, and I just think for a hundred hundred year old conference and a lot of great programs, schools, academic institution, athletic programs that have every varsity sport in the Stanford's and UCLA's and USC's it's a tragedy. The, 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 the conference is disbanding because it's been a great conference for a long time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of, I think there's a lot of people actually kind of rooting for the PAC 12 this year. I really do. So it'll be interesting to see. And I mean, I know some of our schools and our conferences are, you know, played last week and they're going to play again uh, this week against some PAC 12 schools, but it's fun to watch. I mean, it's just too bad that, you know, that's the thing with the Pac-12. It's, 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 it seems like it's not a very national conference because football-wise, anyway, so many of the games are so late. You know, yeah. so, so a lot of Midwest and East Coast teams never really, I mean, outside of USC, you know, and maybe Oregon just because of the brand, the national brand, you know, people don't know about Michael Penix or at least maybe they did at his prior school. But what, what the Huskies are doing, I mean, you know, my son, my son Jax talks about Georgia and Ohio State, and I'm like, buddy, if if you got to go watch a game at Husky Stadium or Austin Stadium, you'd be pleasantly surprised. It is big time ball out here, and so anyway, um, I'm rooting for the Pac-12, man. It's, it's going to be fun to watch over the next few months. Well, last thing on this before we get into the Big Sky Conference stuff, I was thinking about this Colorado phenomenon, and I was trying to think. I mean, there's always these, not always, but every so often, there's these these moments where Stuff in college football seems to shift, and then there's people sort of leading the way. You know, whether it's you know the first teams that were running the option, and then they decided to add the veer element to it, and how much that changed stuff, and then all of a sudden the spread. And you know, I think back to like the Miami days when first you know Howard Schellenbecker, and then you know uh, on down the line Jimmy Johnson and and uh, Dennis Erickson all started recruiting Florida, Liberty City, and and you know really truly breaking down the color barrier in college football. But I was trying to think like what is what is what is happening at Colorado comparable to I me? Mean, when's the last time we saw like this massive sort of seismic shift in the landscape of college football like we seem it's like it seems like the buffs are kind of leading the way on. Well, it's it's kind of a two-part answer. So when Bill McCartney took over, Colorado was was traditionally one of the worst teams in in the Big 8/Big slash 12. Or I I think they were Big 8 at the time and then transitioned to Big 12 or I can't remember, but you know, he knew he needed to change the recruiting base and, and the type of athletes that they were recruiting. And so they, they hit Southern California and Texas and Louisiana really, really hard to bring in a lot of the great players of, of that generation in terms of the, you know, Darian Higgins and Rashawn Salams and, and uh, you know, Michael Westbrook. And, I mean, there's just a lot of dudes. I mean, there were years where Colorado was getting the most draft picks in, in the NFL, not, not the Georgias and Alabamas. Um, what I can relate to kind of what's going on right now, and, and you just tell me if I'm way off base in this, is what Pete Carroll did. Remember, remember when USC kind of had, had, had like kind of a dark period? I mean, even when they were recruiting me in the late, you know, mid, mid to late 90s, totally. they weren't very good. I mean, they're obviously USC. Ton of tradition, ton of, I mean, t- well, it's one of the winningest programs in the country. But what Pete Carroll did is he brought juice and energy. And I mean, you remember, remember seeing like, Snoop Dogg and Will Ferrell on the sideline. Buddy, last Saturday in Boulder, Dion had the Wu-Tang Clan on the sideline. You know who walked out of the tunnel in front of the team? 
uh, or at least, least, least in pregame, Shannon Sharp and Stephen A. Smith. They walked out together, just chilling, just chilling on the sideline, man, where, you know, he's got, I mean, I don't know if you've seen it. They've got like a big king throne on the sideline. I mean, it, it's, it is, it is a, it is college football 3.0. I mean, th- these guys are parking Lamborghinis in the field house and having recruits getting pictures. I mean, it's just, it is different. And I mean, I thought our facilities were awesome when I was there. What they have done is, is nothing short of beautiful. Now, you don't have the site. You don't have Big Ten, SEC size stadiums. I mean, Folsom Field's only about 60, 62, 63,000. But I mean, you, you everyone's seen it. Like if you didn't know about Colorado football, and they start spanning the stadium, and you're seeing the flat irons in the background, it's gorgeous. I mean, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous area and a good university, good school. So. I don't know. I mean, what, what I what I'm relating it to is what Pete Carroll had rolling there in, in kind of the you know the mid 2000s, where a lot of swag, lot lot of energy. You had all Americans backing up all Americans. Recruits wanted to go there again, and I think that this this trip. I mean, Jeremy Bloom. You know, you know Jeremy Bloom. I mean, he was a great football player, but he kind of you know became famous because he was he was a really really good. Uh, um, uh, uh, skier uh, and there was the issue with you know can he get sponsorships to do the stuff on the hills and not play football blah 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 I mean he, he's got on social media basically like petitioning the alums and buff nation to start putting together more chatter for Dion and he's like if, if people are willing to do this I'll, st- I'll start this train by donating a hundred grand <laughs> so like they want to get. They want this 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 buzz to continue, and they want to do everything in their power. They're not dumb now. Colorado is traditionally cheap with head coaches and assistant coaches. They just are. I'm just calling it how I see it. They know they've got a great thing going now. How can they keep it together for an extended period of time? You know, and not not have another Mel Tucker where it's one and done and he's moving on. So. <sighs> Man, I just said a lot right there. I don't know if it, any of it made sense, but it is, it is exciting times again in Boulder, Colorado. Blackfoot Communications continues to lift up our local entrepreneurs, delivering the resources needed to transform ideas into businesses. Our C2M beta program was founded with the mission to connect local entrepreneurs to more. With access to more professional expertise, more state-of-the-art technology, and more development resources, our 12-week program delivers the foundational and modern skills required to transform influential ideas into thriving businesses. Apply today at goblackfoot.com slash apply. No it certainly is. CU alum, Ty Gregorak, joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. All right, let's talk about the uh, news of the weekend. First and foremost, the game that everybody around the FCS was glued on was in Brookings, South Dakota, and a whole bunch of things played out. First of all, Montana State pitched a first-half shutout against South Dakota State, took a 10-0 lead in, into halftime. Then, as you'd expect, South Dakota State made some adjustments, came out and, and scored a couple times in the second half. But then it was back and forth, back and forth, Montana State blocks a punt down at the one-yard line, and they recover it, and then they aren't able to get a touchdown out of it. They have to settle for a field goal. And then they also get the ball down at about fourth and one on the goal line. And they have a false start, which was one of nine false starts in the game. They have to settle for three there again, yet still they're leading 16-13. to Then they give up two big gash plays, and all of a sudden they're down 20-16. to then they get the ball back again, and Sean Chambers appears to throw a walk-off touchdown with time, uh, no time left on the clock. That is not the case. It's called off. They have one last Hail Mary, and uh, no dice. The Bobcats lose 20-16. to We're going to get to all the, in, the ins and outs of like the minute details of this whole thing, Ty, but on a broad level, I thought Montana State played well enough defensively that this whole thing falls upon the fact that they weren't able to get touchdowns when they were inside the 10-yard line. They got the ball to the 10 or closer three different times, and they settled for Brendan Hall field goals all three times. Even if they just punch in one, if not two of those, you're talking about rolling out of Brookings with a multiple-score victory. If you're Montana State coming back from this thing, you got to just be heartsick. I mean, you just got to be sick to your stomach that you let the number one team off the ropes. You had them on the ropes. You couldn't finish the deal. Uh, it was quite a, a game, really, really fun to watch. But if you're MSU coming home, you got to just be sick to your stomach after that loss. 
Yeah, and you know, I, a couple of minutes ago, I, I mentioned Bill McCartney, who, who who really got Colorado turned around. He had a saying, Coulter, and his saying was, "To win, you must keep from losing." And they went to Brookings and lost. And I don't know how else to say it. They 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 had a game so so in hand, not not in hand because it was always tight. Like they you know they were never getting it out of reach. But in terms of the procedural penalties, I mean, I, I know I don't even know if they keep a stat like that, but I, I would love for somehow to look in the record books to see if, I mean, nine's up there now, <laughs> nine false starts, nine procedural penalty penalties. Now this and this one yard stoppages, in which we saw against Utah Tech as well early in the game. Uh, I it was uh, it was very interesting to watch uh you know the last play say what you want about it i mean i you know i i'll, I'll be honest. i watched the game i watched the replays i mean i really i really didn't uh, it, now i'll say this it was it was signaled a touchdown and 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 you got i mean that you're in theory and the replays you got to have conclusive evidence that it wasn't so the refs obviously saw something that said but but i'll be honest i i did not think it was a touchdown myself and i don't know if you've seen replays in all 22s i i did i generally didn't think he had possession until that 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 uh, i can't remember if his left or his right foot was was hitting the hitting the, the the end line so but but needless whatever whatever i mean you know tommy goes down i mean i i, I don't think it was the play but I mean, he just whacked a a a uh, a TV guy, and, like it knocked the TV dude out. I think it completely was, knocked it was him the out. Sound guy. On... Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they, they, the Midco or whoever, whatever TV deal it was, they they never really went back to it. But like when you saw it live, like oh my god, that that guy's that's gotta hurt, you know. Um, but you know, you you, you you I mean, Tommy and Sean are they took a lot of hits, and they're asked to do a lot. And you just kind of ask yourself, and again, I, I, I was in Billings yesterday for work and haven't got to, you know, listen to a lot and watch the press conferences and stuff, but it just seems like for an offensive line that has been so dominant over the last few years and a stable of running backs, you just sit there and go, are, are we not as healthy as, or when it's, are the Bobcats backfield not as healthy? I mean, I know they've got some guys up front that have been dinged up and you know, a starter or two they haven't played. Um, but you just look at some of the touches that some of these kids got and you go, what's, what's going on, you know? Um, so, yeah, man, it was interesting. I mean, just, just uh, you know, more often than not, you uh, you lose games as opposed to win games. And I just felt like they, well, I mean, they, pro- they proved that they did enough to, to lose that football game with, you know, costly interception by Sean and, and then just, just the procedural stuff. I mean, 12 accepted penalties. I don't even know how many total penalties were called, but 12 accepted penalties, nine of which, you know, were false starts. It's crazy. Well, that's been one of the strengths of Montana State for a long time, but particularly during the Brent Vegan era here these last couple of years is is they've always been disciplined and, and uh, minimally penalized. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think there's just a lot that goes into it, the magnitude of the moment, the, the crowd that was on hand, all that sort of stuff. But I guess th- my main question for this coming out of this tie, I, I thought going into this game – for Montana State, pretty much no matter what happened, I thought it was going to be a net benefit for the Cats. You go to Brookings and you win, great. Huge momentum, a bunch of confidence. Now you can truly believe that maybe you can just run the table and get the number one seed. You go to Brookings and you lose, but you compete and you show strides from last year. Again, another rallying cry. Hey, we, we've made strides. We're right there. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get these guys again. Losing in such a heartbreaking fashion and when you let it slip away – I think it was the the single way that Montana State could lose that it could be if they don't spin it right detrimental to their future progress. That said, I think that that's exactly where they're at now, though. I think they just need to flush this. So, I mean, you coached in, in the Big Sky for a really long time. From a coaching perspective, how do you get guys to move on from this? I mean, because you can't change anything that happened in the past. How do you get guys to not dwell on you know the the, the missed opportunities and the false starts and stuff like that and just move on to the next one? Because as Brent Vegan said in his presser yesterday. What happened happened, and we can't change it. We have to figure out a way to move on and move forward. How do you go about doing that, though? Yeah, I, so so what you were first talking about, I think it was on a national level, 
there, there's enough people that said, you know what, the, the Bobcats went there and fought their tails off and deserve not to move. They're still number three this week. Is that accurate? They, they didn't. They didn't go. That's they didn't right. Go still, back. still number three. They're still number three. In the, it was a one versus three matchup. They're still number three. So enough people are like, dang, these guys are good. Those are two good teams, no question. But you know what both those teams have their eyes on? I mean, again, you got to take it game by game. But winning a conference championship, getting into the playoffs and making one heck of a playoff run. How do you make great playoff runs? What, 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 60, 65% of teams that get to play at home win those games. And that, that, that's like, honestly, what, and again, you got to take care of business week in, week out for, for the next two and a half months, three months. I get that. But that would have just been a huge, huge, uh, just, just a, not, not a wake-up call, but, I mean, you go to the defending national champ's house and win, you're in the driver's seat, man, because I mean, you, you are – you know, you're the big man on the campus. You're the big man on the country saying, we just knocked off the number one team in the country at their place. To, to Coach Vegan's point, you have to flush it. Now, I think, hopefully, not knowing the, the injury status of some of these guys, you can't overlook Stetson, but you know, you know, you know this, is, this is not an equal matchup. So you would think, you would hope that a lot of youngsters slash, you know, that, 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 you know, that, that second bench of dudes coming off, you would hope that they could get some guys healed up this week going into what will be another slugfest in, in less than two weeks in Ogden. Weber State's good, and they're physical as they always are. And so you got to get some dude, dudes healthy in a hurry. And I, 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 you would think they would have an opportunity to do that against a team like Stetson. But, yeah, it's hard, man. I mean, they, and they did, I mean shoot, I saw, I saw Leon Costello the next day, and, I mean, they didn't get back to like 2 a.m. I mean, that's – Road trips like that at night uh, on the road, those are, those, are, those are tough, man. I mean, they, they are. They're tough. And it, it, it's going to take a couple of days for them to and, – and we're there now. I mean, it's Tuesday. So the, the only the, – all their assistant coaches are doing right now is, fellas, we've still got a ton of football to play for. We've still got all of our goals in front of us. Flush it. Let's, let's go, let's go, you know, curb, curb stomp an inferior opponent, which is what they are. Now coaches are like, Hey, any given Saturday, anything can happen. No, they should have the mindset that they're going to go curb stomp and dominate this opponent and hopefully get some dudes healthy in the process. One last thing about this, this last week, before we move to the, the future, the move forward, uh, Montana state played really well defensively. I think that's one thing you can hang your hat on is, you know, I mean, you got, you know, ran off the field basically the last time you played South Dakota State, and and then this time, I mean, I was going through it since Mark Ronowski's been the quarterback there at South Dakota State, and it's going on now three plus years as the starter. And, and by the way, he is a tremendous player. That's that's the type of guy I would want if I was a coach. Just a guy that just knows how to make plays when you got to make plays. He's a winner. He's tough yep. as hell, and he's really talented too. That said, South Dakota State's only scored twenty or less points twice with him as the starting quarterback, and one of them was this Saturday. So MSU certainly seems as if they've made some strides defensively. Where have you seen them improve? I mean, where, where are they playing better uh, that's sort of allowing them to have uh, these good performances early here this year? Yeah, I mean, just going off of two games, one, you know, one of which was, I mean, they won by 43 points or whatever it was uh, in the first one. But, yeah, they, they, they the, you know, last week I think I said just complementary offense and defense to one another. Uh defensively i mean they, they did so many good things like in fact and, you, and like you i mean like you said south Coast state's got good players and good coaches they came out of half you know making some adjustments and you and you could kind of see that in, in in a couple scores but there's not as many explosive plays being given up i mean i i, I thought i thought the gronkowski kid played well too i mean every, every, the way you just described him you just described tommy a lot he's tough he's a winner he makes plays when he has to um He's he's uh, he's a gamer, and but what they did to their rushing attack, you know, that's been just really dominant. They 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 played really a, a mostly complete game, and then that early turnover was great. I had to laugh when the the, the color guys like I, you know I'm a I'm 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 a thousand percent right on all these replays. He was wrong. They 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 gave him the they gave was it Nolan the the fumble recovery on the on the. Uh, sideline there and so no I mean they're they're doing a lot of good things defensively I think I mean I thought I thought in game one there was some you know there was some couple coverage deals that you, that you noticed but they're just so stout up front 
led by some, you know, led, led by Seabass and uh, Brody Greeby and Ben Seymour. And, and those guys are doing a lot of good things. And, and their linebacker course, you know, really making a lot of plays. So I don't know. I just think, I think they're playing. Um, I, 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 I don't, I, again, I'm not in the film room. I'm not evaluating this stuff uh, every day. Like these coaches and players are, they're just, in, in a two-week sample size, you're just seeing a lot less of those explosive plays that were, you know, really, really hurting the Bobcat D last year. So, I mean, hopefully they can keep it up. And they're, they they look sharp, though. They really do look sharp. And, and losing a couple of veteran senior guys like they did, they really haven't missed a beat in my mind. You know, seeing Riley, I, I love that free safety blitz they have. Um, I, shoot, I, we used to call it freak, I think. Um but I mean, bringing Ryland, you know, on those free safety blitzes and they got some good stuff going. So hopefully they keep it up, man. There's a lot of things that make Montana great from the mountains and lakes to some of the finest towns in the West. But what really makes this place special is you. Our communities are full of people who are working hard to build good lives and remarkable things. At Opportunity Bank, our passion is helping folks do just that. Together, we can make a good thing even better. Opportunity Bank of Montana. Stop by and see us or visit us online. Member FDIC. Big Shot Breakdown presented in part by Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Ty Gregorak joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Uh, did you get a chance to watch much of Montana? I thought that the way that they sort of just put Utah Tech away early, I mean, that's how Bobby Hawk wants to play. Force turnovers, turn the turnovers into points, you know, kill them in the field position game. Get a special teams return for a touchdown. Quit the central coach out. Get up thirty-six nothing. Empty the bench. Play everybody. You bring on the trip and uh, kind of cruise to a forty-three thirteen win over Utah Tech. Um, I know there was a, a lot of boo birds after the the opener for Montana. I thought they looked a lot sharper uh, in week two. I actually think that they have a, an opportunity to be pretty good uh, if they can get things figured out diversification wise on offense. So I think defense is going to be good. I think the special teams is always some of the best in the country. Uh, I thought it was just pretty much exactly how Coach Houck wants to play on Saturday. It was, and and, and yes, I, I I you know started flipping back and forth, but I actually couldn't stand listening uh, to that game more so than the the South Dakota State game. So I just you know started watching Oregon, Texas Tech, and all the other games going on. So, um, but yeah, man, I mean, listen, there, <laughs> you almost want to say like when. When's it good enough? I mean, they're averaging almost 40 points a game in their in their in their couple contests here. Uh, now, you and I—they're not playing South Dakota State. You know, they're not playing at Husky Husky Stadium and playing the Dogs. I mean, it's it, you got you got uh, three you know three good warm-up games conference. But to me, uh, what, what they cleaned up. Um, well, they still they they still put the ball on the ground a few times, didn't they? But they lost they only lost one this week where. You know, last week I mentioned that they, they they didn't win the turnover battle. They had three, I think, last week. Um, but yeah, just uh, clean. And that's that's what they're gonna do, man. They're just gonna keep cleaning it up. And they got another game where they can keep cleaning cleaning more things up. And you know, figuring out this quarterback situation. It sounded like Osmo played a fantastic game. And you gotta love what a kid like that can do. Not not just from a, a running back perspective, but getting him out of the backfield and, and, you know, those, those running backs that are, you know, multifaceted dudes that can not just pound the rock in between and outside the tackles, but get out in space and make you miss, uh, you know, it, it was good to see him have a great game. So, yeah, I, I just think, you know, they went on the road, they had to play at night. They, they, they I mean, the, the game, the game was a blowout. I mean, right. I mean, they didn't, they, they didn't score till really late in the game. So I don't know. I mean, and, and you know what the bottom line is they're two and zero. So they're 2-0, and and I think another week of six teams in the top 15, I mean, it didn't, didn't move a ton. I mean, there were some fantastic performances by some big sky schools and some absolutely horrific uh, performances by others. But say what you want, Montana's 2-0. and 
going, going into week three. Blackfoot Communications continues to lift up our local entrepreneurs, delivering the resources needed to transform ideas into businesses. Our C2M beta program was founded with the mission to connect local entrepreneurs to more. With access to more professional expertise, more state-of-the-art technology, and more development resources, our 12-week program delivers the foundational and modern skills required to transform influential ideas into thriving businesses. Apply today at goblackfoot.com slash apply. A couple other teams in the Big Share 2-0, including the Idaho Vandals. I, I was just thinking about how funny it is the way that the world moves and the world changes, right? I mean, go back 30 years ago, and Nevada was the first one out of the Big Sky to make the move uh, uh, up to the FBS, and then Boise State followed, and then Idaho followed. And so between 93 and 95, three of the premier teams in the Big Sky leave to go to what was the WAC, and then it became the Mountain West, but only Nevada and Boise State got invited to the Mountain West, and Idaho's left out to dry. And this long saga that all, all eventually leads Idaho back to the Big Sky Conference but in this weird alternative universe, Nevada was actually the Big Sky team that moved up that was good first, before Boise State, before Idaho. And they were pretty good the longest when Chris Alt was there. And now, not at all. They've lost 12 in a row, including getting beat by four touchdowns at home by Idaho. And uh, it's just funny. Like, Idaho basically had to move down to then start beating up on, on Mountain West opponents. It's, it's funny how... Uh, all this works, but I mean, if you're Ken Wilson there at Nevada, a guy that was you know in the mix at Montana State before they hired Brent Vegan, yep. Uh, yep. the seat's getting pretty hot. You got to figure out a way to, to string some sort of semblance of improvement together because uh, losing 12 in a row and getting beat by four touchdowns by an FCS at home, uh, it ain't good for Nevada. But a pretty impressive win by Idaho. Extremely impressive. Who's now moved up to number five, and I. <laughs> I tell you what, man, they, they do that again at Cal this week. Who You know, Cal, Cal is just okay. I mean, I, I know they scrapped a little bit versus Auburn. Auburn's just okay, not great. But they do that again. I mean, <laughs> look, look at us. And, you know, again, we're going to talk about it all year. We talked about it all last year. Jason Eck, man, the guy's done a fantastic job. You cannot relate it, but in terms of energy and getting some good players in and just, you know, being a, adding a different element uh, from a head coaching perspective through the coaching staff, uh, you know, what he's done there. It's not, I can't relate it to prime what they're doing in Boulder, but wow. Wow. I mean, they just beat the heck out of Nevada and it was great. It's like, it's like the early nineties, man, Doug Nussmeyer. And the, the, it's like, they're back, they're back, you know? So it, it, it's really cool to see. I, 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 I do like Jason. He's a great guy. I'm rooting for him. I really am. And he's built a really good team in less than two years. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, we don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but Eastern Washington went and fought their butts off against they did. Fresno State, you know, and, and, you know, so you got these teams that are going and, and just fighting and fighting and fighting. And then you, and then you look at the Idaho States who, you know, seven. So, so Portland State two weeks ago had 81 put on them. Idaho State had 78 put on them, and then, you know, Cal Poly goes out and loses by 56 to San Jose State. So uh, we, we, I, think, I think we all kind of know uh, what the conference, how the conference will probably shape out and the teams that are going to rise to the top are, are, are probably already rising. Um, so, yeah, I, we, and, and I'll be honest. I, I, no one is rooting harder for Andy Thompson and the Sacramento State Hornets to go beat – his former boss oh, man. this week in the stand. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be something? I mean, tr- truly. I mean, it, what, what a, it won't be easy. Stan, you know, Stanford Stanford is going to be tough. They've got a lot more scholarships, a lot more money. It's still Stanford against Sac State. But I'm rooting for them all. I'm rooting for them, and that, that, that would be a heck of a win for Coach Thompson in, in, a, in a game against Troy Taylor like that. So fun week three, man. It's in, like you, like you said before the call, it's already week three. I mean, good night. It's going to be October before we know. Coulter, we're going, what? This is how the fall goes. Next thing you know, we'll be talking about Thanksgiving break. Well, last two things for you. One, just quickly, I thought that uh, you know Montana State, South Coast State overshadowed pretty much the entire rest of the league this week, other than Idaho. I mean, when you beat an FBS like that, you're going to get a lot of headlines. But I actually thought that the best win other than Idaho over Nevada was Weber State at Northern Iowa. That's a great win. And I think that there was a lot of people thinking that Weber might fall off with Jay Hill not there anymore. But uh, – 
we were sitting there at 2-0, and, and, and going to Northern Iowa and winning in that dome, is that's a big win, man. I mean, Northern Iowa's a good program. Uh, I, I thought that was underrated, something that got kind of overshadowed this week. Oh, no question. Uh, that is not an easy place to go play. And I, I already said, you know, two weeks from now or less than two weeks, that's going to be a slugfest, another slugfest for the Bobcats going to Weaver State, which will be a night game. And, and, and uh, we're looking forward to get rolling in the broadcast for that one. But yeah, never an easy place to go play in that dome. And shoot, they got, they got an interesting one themselves this week against an incredible, really good Utah football team. So yeah, I mean, it's you're kind of right. I mean, there, a lot of those games were overshadowed by by that that one of the last ones there at night uh, in Brookings, but a lot of good performances, man. I mean, and you know what, UC Davis is still a really good football team. I think I think they're a good football team. I think Oregon State's just gotten really pretty good. I mean, For sure. Jonathan's done a great job there, and um, you know, he's. I mean, they're they're one of the. Which, whichever poll, or you mentioned six, I, I thought it was eight, but you know they're they're a really good football team. So, yeah, man, it's really really fun for another another week of some non-conference play and just seeing and you know seeing some teams that are playing up and then seeing some. <laughs> I mean, I mentioned uh, oh, I mentioned Portland State and and Idaho State. Let's see, we got uh, let's see, Cal Poly's playing Lincoln. All right, and so uh, you tell me what Lincoln football is all about. And uh, Portland State's got uh, North American, who, the North American Stallions. So that, that'll be fun for them. So anyway, uh, as always, I don't think there's ever a, a lack of excitement in the big sky. The big, the big sky football league is, is just that. It's always fun. It's always entertaining. And it's going to be even another, another week here before we get into conference play. It's going to be fun. He's Ty Gregorak. He joins us each week here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Coach Ty, thanks for being here, man, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for uh, thanks for the insight. Thank you, Coulter. Have a great week, and I'll probably uh, probably catch you soon. Blackfoot Communications is excited to announce new voice services for small businesses in Missoula. Paired with our internet services, business Wi-Fi, and technical support, your business can stay connected to your employees, customers, and communities around the clock. Sign up for services in less than two minutes at goblackfoot.com slash more than voice. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot Communications is the official digital sponsor of Grizzly Athletics.